Hello, and welcome to The Backstory, the show where we share how our experiences of our history has often shaped our destiny. The Backstory tries to humanize our common struggles and issues most of us face by highlighting real-life stories of resilience. I'm your host, Cheryl Hatwood, and today we're going to talk with Jamel Maxim about some of the areas he saw absent in leadership as a teacher and principal in the urban schools, which he's used to create um, a, a leadership program. So Jamal, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here and I'm glad I can have this opportunity to, to share and to be with you and, and your um, guests. Uh, I, well, we appreciate you being here, and I'm excited to hear what has compelled you to uh, to create this leadership program. But let's just start by giving a little introduction of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like you shared, my name is Jamal, and I live in the Cincinnati area. Um, my whole life has been dedicated to really the pursuit of passion, passionately pursuing destiny and really helping others, because I believe it's my my role in life to help other people live up to their fullest potential. You know, so that led me along the career path of becoming an educator, because um, I felt like the best way to help someone really live up to their potentials to help them to learn and think and apply that knowledge. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's let's back up now and take take us to your backstory about what happened to you, what you saw, uh, what you saw, what you saw that helped you and impacted you to the point that you felt that you needed to create this program, the Igniter of Champion Leaders. Absolutely. And so, as I said, I started out as a teacher because I wanted to make an impact and really help and serve um, students of urban areas, low socioeconomic status, because I felt like they were the ones who needed me the most. They were the ones who I saw consistently making wrong choices and getting harsher consequences for their mistakes. And so I wanted to teach them to think, wanted to teach them to, to grow and realize their full potential. And so I started teaching, taught for several years in some very tough areas um, in schools that nobody else wanted to wanted to be a part of. And people were thanking my, me and my wife for teaching in these schools. And so um, so I did that. And after a couple of years, I just really felt the desire to make a greater impact. So I began to pursue educational leadership. I was gradually taking on more responsibility as a teacher. I was leading my team and in charge of things that were building wide in the school anyway. And so I just really felt like that was the next logical step to increase my impact. So I began to learn about educational leadership. Um, I had a, the principal at the time began to mentor me. You know, I was reading magazines, reading books, went to school for educational leadership and got the additional degree and certifications and went through all the, the right process along with studying leadership on the side. You know, I was reading people like um, John Maxwell and Franklin Covey and all of the, you know, Michael Hyatt, all of those guys studying their material, reading, listening to their podcasts, reading their books, and really had been studying leadership prior to becoming an educator. So I just kind of continued on. And what I saw when I became a principal was this missing link 
um, in the preparation of principles because I also have a degree in experience in business management. And I didn't like it because it was at the time the climate was too stale and it just wasn't where I needed to be. And I recognized that. And so I, I saw the difference that in business, people are prepared, you know, thoroughly on how to lead an organization, how to manage the finances, how to manage and lead people. And you spend years on certain content. Um, preparing as a principal, I maybe had one or two classes in that same content versus a year or two. And so there was a serious gap. And when I became, and so when I became a principal, I had to pull on a lot of what I had learned before, you know, to help build these, build these urban schools. You know, I started out in what's commonly called the charter school network, which are non-traditional public schools. And in a charter network, you have to be an entrepreneur because half of your school year is focused on upping enrollment, getting parents and kids to want to enroll in your school because your funding is strictly determined by how many students you have, at least the charter world in Ohio. And so you have so many students, that's so much funding, and you have to kind of manage from there. And I found that that was a little little too volatile. Um, And so I switched to the traditional public school thinking that would be a little more secure because, you know, in a traditional public school, you had the levies and taxes and everything else that added additional funding, which was evident when I went to the public school because they had there were a lot more resources to use for the children that they were serving in these urban areas. But the struggle came in is when I also found this, I don't want to call it laziness, but complacency with how the students were performing. You know, um, the school that I was um, a part of was the top school in the district. The principal prior to me was super awesome. We're, We're still friends today. And a lot of the things that she implemented were things that I implemented in other schools to turn schools around. So we had that common focus, that common thread, common approach before we even knew each other. And so when I was hired on, it was an instant connection, you know, and we worked together for that year, like a dynamic duo, just really, (laughs) you know, knocking things out and really making, making progress. And so one of the things that I was able to bring to kind of shake up that complacency is a targeted growth because they say, oh, we want to grow our kids. But I was like, by how much? Most of these students were three years behind where they needed to be in math and reading. So I'm like, so just growing by the end of the school year is not enough. We need to accelerate that. And so our goal was to grow kids a year and a half to two years by the end of the school year. And I put systems in place to help us do that. And so, but I found that complacency. I found people didn't want to do that. They were satisfied with being the best school in the district, but still being far below where the state said we should be. And so I let, me, let me, yeah, let me speak a little bit about that because I think it's yeah. interesting that you saw the deficit and you acted on it. And, and I thank you for being an educator that really, really is compelled with, you know, um, knowledge transfer into the student and ensuring that they have the best possible uh, opportunity for the future. Yes. Now, I I understand that some schools, though, kind of restrict you because 
they give quotas, um, which mm-hmm. which teachers are sometimes pulled to uh, fulfill the quota at the expense of the student. Mm-hmm. So tell me how you work through something, some of that situation and how, and what was your turning point that says, okay, we got to get on this now. I, I know that you found your dynamic duo when you, you guys formulated, you know, uh, kind of like an agenda on how to bring it forward. But how did you message this? Well, basically I just talked about the deed. Um, you know, after that first year, I became the principal. She, um, the former principal relocated and I, I took over and I really just communicated the need. I talked about where they were in light of where they needed to be and use that to be the driving point to say, we cannot um, keep going at a slower pace because the longer you take to help students learn, the further behind they will be because it, it was compounding. And so I just communicated the need and I communicated my passion behind it and and just basically told them each of these students have the right to success. Just like your child, you have an expectation of them being successful in the school district they attend. These children deserve the same thing. And so that's kind of where I, I did it. I communicated the need and I wouldn't accept anything less than, you know, less than that, because it was like we don't know. Because these are people's lives that, you know, we were dealing with. It, it's, it's not some plaything. And so I was very passionate, uh, intense at times, but still, <laughs> but still compassionate to teachers. Because one of the things I did is I tried to keep things simple. I didn't really engage in the extras and the non-essentials that people try to dump on schools. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not our focus. That's not what we're doing. And so that helped us keep the main thing, the main thing. But the issue was that um, just trying to trying to push was different than what they were used to. And I understand change management and people have to be ready for change and willing to change. And I understand all of that. But after a certain point, it's either change or go somewhere else because the mm-hmm. students don't get to choose their teachers. And so it's my responsibility to make sure that they have the best instruction possible. And so I I went through all of those things, tried to do all the right things, all the right concepts that I was learning. And that's how I learned you can't blanket, you can't just have a blanket application of a leadership concept and expect to get the same results that's written about in the book. You have to be able to make it a part of you and then apply it to your specific situation. Because I was trying everything to get these people to like <laughs> just do the right thing for these kids. I'm like, that's why you're here. I mean, this is your job. Right. And it just it just, you know, and I some people were like, yes, this is what we need. Jamal is going to push us. And some people were like, no, um, my contract says and I'm like, cool. I'm good with contracts. Here's what your contract does say. And so, you know, so it was that constant back and forth of trying to pull people along, motivate, ignite them to do what they were supposed to be doing. And, you know, I would say for the most part, it was good. We had a good team. Things were going well. But then I started to to face some challenges. I started to get some pushback when certain little tweaks needed to be made. 
you know, I was like, okay, we're not giving effort grades just because a kid tried doesn't mean they should get high percentage and high points because they're going to think they mastered the material. That's right. It's a false sense of um, success. Absolutely. And then I had parents asking me because parents are intelligent and, you know, so they're asking me when I see my child's state test scores, why does it say they're so far below where they're supposed to be, but they're getting A's and B's in class? That shouldn't be the case. What's in class should be, should have a close correlation to what the kid does on the state test. Now, state tests only measure one point in time, and that's not, that's totally against best practices in education, but that's the world we live in. But for the most part, it shouldn't be that big of a difference. And so I started making tweaks. I kind of had, and I did the, I did the typical leadership thing. We talked about it for an entire school year. I was listening to people give me feedback, <laughs> giving me suggestions, tell me what you're doing. What do you think about this? We talked about it for a whole year. Well, time passes, I, somebody else is suffering. Yes. And then at the end of that year, going into the next year, it was like, boom, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, because it's it's not working because those kids are, are going to the junior high school, senior high school and falling behind because they thought they were somewhere that they weren't. And so so then I began to face challenges. I began to get more pushback because I was disrupting the system, disrupting the comfort zone. And I would tell you, it wasn't everybody. But it was the minority, the very small minority, because I had like about a, over 100 employees, 100 staff members. And it was like a very small percentage, like maybe two to three percent. But that two to three percent were making so much noise. It, um, it overshadowed what the rest Good. of them were doing. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, unfortunately, when you have a pack mentality, when you're dealing with unions, you know, they would say, I have to support my teammate and I can't support you over supporting my teammate because I don't want it to be hard for me. So the politics of the system at the expense of the student. Absolutely. And so you would get that. So I dealt with that and it got to the point to where it was so, so challenging at the beginning of that year that I actually, I wanted to quit but I didn't. I was trying to just like, okay, I'm going to win these people or they're going to, or they're going to quit. It's just going to be one of those <laughs> things. But then there, there was what I thought was relief came that came because beginning of a, a next school year, um, the superintendent and the assistant superintendent came to me and said, Hey, our junior high, junior, senior high school has had a challenge. They've had a new principal every year for 10 years. They said, this is the first year the principal came back for the second year in a row. Wow. They they said, we need you to come support him because we know you're good with strategy. We know you're good with systems. We know you're good with helping establishing culture. This school is running like a well-oiled machine by itself. I mean, it was running that way before I got there. So it was like it was like a breath of fresh air at first. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, "Okay, cool. Even though they needed to push but they didn't need as much work as a total turnaround. So I was like, okay, cool. So I'm a principal on special assignment at this high school. The great thing is some of my former students were there in seven, in the sixth and seventh grade that I, I was able to see. 
some of the siblings of students that I had were there and they were in the older grades. So that kind of gave me a starting point with relationship. And so I'm there that year helping make a difference, helping turn some things around, implement some things. Fast forward to January of last year, I was told, hey, the high school team loves you. You could stay here or is there somewhere else in the district you want to go? Now, this district had consolidated, so they didn't have a lot of schools per se for me to Uh go to. But they recommended I didn't go back to my previous school because they didn't want because of just the conflict that had occurred from me trying to push them further. And they were so used to being complimented, told they were the best. They didn't want to put be pushed. And they said, well, we don't think that's a good place because we think that's going to be more challenging for you. And since they're the top school in the district, we're just going to leave them alone, even though they're still way behind where the state is saying they should be. And so I was like, okay, well, cool. Let me think about it because I wanted to be intentional about where I needed to be. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So that went from that was January, February of last year. The governor signs this new school choice house bill. And what that did was that caused many public school districts to lose millions. And so they came right back to me. Hey, you know, this new bill that got signed. I was like, yeah, because I called the representatives and was sending information about, hey, we know the charters need need funding. I came from that world, totally understand, but you can't take it from the public school. I mean, you take funding from one school to fund another. That doesn't fix the problem. It right. creates a bigger problem. Apparently, they didn't listen to me um, or, <laughs> or everybody or, or all the other educators in the state that was saying the same thing. So this bill passes. Public schools lost millions. So they came to me and said, hey, your position is new. It's one of the ones we have to cut to to be in line with our budget. So I went in a matter of 30 days, mm-hmm. having the option to go anywhere to now being able to go nowhere. Right. And so that forced me to really say, okay, what now? What am I going to do? And how can I continue to make a difference in the lives of people in general? Because education, you know, I'm passionate about education, but I recognize that some of the things that I was saying that people were questioning were the same things that were being echoed by the top thought leaders in the field. So when I would listen to these people like Bill Daggett and go to the conference called Model Schools and other conferences, these top people are saying the exact same thing I'm saying. And so my wife was like, well, the problem is the people you're with have a lake view and you have an ocean view and an ocean message. I like that. (laughs) And so I was like, that's true. But as an educator, you try to pull people along. And so I had to figure out what was my next move. And my next move was to really ignite people in leadership because I started to recognize leadership is leadership. And when leaders get into this place of being busy, that they get scattered and it's hard to focus. They try to do too many things. They try to jump through hoops to win their team and spend more time jumping through the hoops than actually leading. And so I saw this imbalance. I believe you definitely have to love and care for people. That's a must because people are your greatest asset. But if you don't actually produce results and accomplish the vision of why you're there, 
then you're nothing more than a social club. And so I've <laughs> seen people do the social club thing and not produce results. But then I've also seen people so focused on results that they become such dictators that they forget about the humanity and the care for people. So it's like, so I saw that and I saw that missing in school systems. I saw that imbalance. And then I saw it in businesses. And I saw people, leaders just trying to be everything to everyone and trying to be everywhere and still trying to produce. And so so what I thought, so what I decided to do was to take a leap of faith and say, hey, I can help leaders, these busy leaders, Mm -hmm. move from scattered exhaustion to have a more energized place of focus where they don't have to be everything to everyone. They can produce results. They can still care for people. And it doesn't have to be their entire life where they're working at home, working on weekends and doing all of that because been there, done that. And so, um, so it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't. It's something gives right No, I, the integrity of your, um, passion to, uh, education really sells. I can see it. It, It's the thread of everything in your story. And I'm, I'm sure that there's success in there with your igniter champion leaders. Can you tell me a little bit about the demographic of who you serve are most of the people in your class or in your organization that you help, are, are they mostly teachers? Are they from different segments of society, public, the public sphere, the private? Um, can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. So most of the people I help are business people. They're small business owners. They either have one to a hundred employees and entrepreneurs, you know, people who have been experienced the same thing I did, because it seems like when jobs get cut, the high performers get cut first because the unfortunate, well, not unfortunately, but the dynamic goes, the better you perform, of course, your pay goes up. And then when they have to make cuts, they cut the, the they cut by purely numbers. And right. so, <laughs> so people who are very, who are very skilled and had to experience a cut and who are launching a business but don't know where to start, I help them and I help the small business owners. Um, Unfortunately, you know, teachers during this time are so overwhelmed, they can't think about any other training. Um, Principals, I'm still, you know, they're the same way. And prior to the pandemic, there were very few principals that really understood the importance of leadership development. And, um, because my program, I tested it out with my team, you know, right. when I was leading a building, because I couldn't be everywhere. If I went to each classroom for 15 minutes, it would take me a month to get through every class. Mm-hmm. So I had to develop leaders. And one of the things that they, one of the teachers told me was, I don't want to learn this. I just want to be a good teacher. I want to lead my team because I was teaching this to teacher leaders And they said, that's all I want to do. And so I said, how can you lead your team if you don't know how to lead? Just because you're a good teacher, that doesn't mean that you automatically know how to let people follow you. And I think that I think that that is uh, fascinating to say the most, because uh, throughout the pandemic, I think it gave us an opportunity to see ourselves 
uh, of where we lack and those that who are aware and where we have to develop more. I know for myself that I used it as an opportunity to, to continue to self-develop because you can see the instability of the marketplace. And at yeah. any time, you you know, you're just a number, as you just said, right? So you mm-hmm. got to take control of your little universes, your the universe that you can control, and then that is yourself. So I just want to wrap up here. I just 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 want to hear what is your mantra in life. My my personal mantra uh-huh. is to pursue purpose with passion. That's that's been my mantra since I was 18 years old. To pursue my life's purpose passionately, to go after it, and so that's caused me to be where I am. No, and, and and it shows like your story is very authentic, and I and I and I really just want to commend you for doing the work with um, where you got your experience and how it compelled you to continue to do something more for others. So education is so important, um, not even education as in an institution, but the education of yourself um, yeah. to develop. So I want to thank you so much, Jamal, for joining us on the show. I'm going to include your contact information. Um, on the podcast. I want to say thank you to the audience for joining us in the backstory. And if you've enjoyed the backstory, please share and subscribe and tell your family and friends to listen. Until next time, always remember your backstory has lessons and thank yourself for the lessons.